0: Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com.
1: This week on Meetin 3, we're bringing you four
0: stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it.
1: What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future.
2: It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You yeah. know, there's, there's nothing like it.
1: When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier.
3: Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, career changers, wacko, weird, interesting, fun people, including our guest, who you'll meet in a moment, uh, who have left previous careers to do more interesting and mostly <laughs> under underpaid uh, jobs in food. Um, I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch.
4: I'm Jenny Dorsey.
1: And we are joined this week by Liza Diggia, who is the chief storyteller, which has got to be the best title I've ever heard, of food curated. Also founder and everything, right?
2: Right. I pretty much do every... I don't even have one employee.
1: All right. Um, uh, uh, predator, is that the... <laughs> yes, yeah, that the I, I just learned this term her. today. A producer slash editor is called a predator. Right? Yes. Uh, all right. Anyway, Liza, thanks for <laughs> joining us. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Uh, tell us, what is Food Curated and how did you start it?
2: Yeah, well, Food Curated is, uh, well, I'm celebrating my 10-year anniversary ah, this congratulations. year. Um, it's kind of like the OG video it s- is OG. storytelling series of New York City. I mean, we've spread f- our stories far and wide. Um, since I started back in 2009. But, uh, yeah, no, we're a documentary storytelling series that profiles, like, inspiring food makers and chefs, farmers, fishermen. Um, We get into the nitty-gritty about their passions and their lives and why they dedicate their lives to good food. So um, I've been around a while.
4: (laughs) You were really one of the the first, if not the first. Um, How has the things changed in video since you've been at, um, good things. Like what's the most exciting thing in the last 10 years that you've been seeing as people get more interested in video content?
2: Well, you know, when I started, I think people appreciated food, but they didn't know a lot about what went into food. So I think what I love about the food industry now is with, with the saturation of food videos and food in general is people have this higher appreciation for food makers Mm -hmm. um, and chefs in general so you know with food curated that's what always that's the thing i always aimed for is you know like these people are working their asses off (laughs) to like please us with something that they care about so much but we're not thinking about them you know and and when i jumped into telling stories the way i do I, i just always wanted to develop that and like help people at home have a relationship to the person making their food because you know even now with like how crazy social media and Instagram is that still gets lost a little bit. Very but that's why I still dedicate myself to my craft because we need to appreciate the people. Like they're artists, you know? They they're they're doing more than you think for us.
1: Why why do you think their stories are not being told more widely? Um why Why don't people know those stories?
2: Well, I think they, I mean, I think they are getting told. um, I I just think before, like, because you were asking me, like, how has it changed? Before there wasn't that visual deep dive into the food world. Whereas now we have Chef's Table Mm -hmm. and we have, like, all these, all this great food programming that's not just about, um, like, just the recipe. It's not, They go, in the food industry, they call it stand and stirs. <laughs> yeah. And just, hands you in know, hands. It's yep. like the three camera shoot. <laughs> now you're, you're getting into their lives into like what inspired them? What's their family stories? And I think when you think about the craft and you go that deep, you see the inspiration and that's where all the beauty lies.
4: And what kind of prompted you to take on this narrative approach to food storytelling, which is something that wasn't something you weren't seeing in general, but also I think it takes a certain personality to be able to bring out so much personality and character in these people that you're interviewing.
2: Well, I think um, that's a good question. I think it's because I love people. Like, I truly, truly love people. And if you ask me what my favorite hobby is, it's people <laughs> first. <laughs> that's a good And then hobby. everything else. And I think the reason why my stories take on so much more life and really, like, a big comment I get... From people that you know write back um, to me about my stories, or that I, they're like, I feel like I know this person, you know, and or or the artisans I cover, they'll come up to me and say people stop them on the street and we'll just talk to them like they oh. know me already because of the stories they've seen that I've done, and that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to break that wall so the people really jump out on screen as people, not as here here are my hands mm-hmm. working on things. No, like what's the full picture of them like. Why should you love them? And that's that's like what I do. I tell that story.
1: Can you tell us some of the, the stories that you've been the proudest of, or the ones that have affected you the most as you made them? Some of the, the stories about the artisans you've you've interviewed.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I've done so many. I've done you know hundreds and like probably like over two hundred by now. But um, recently, I really love the story of Diabruzzo. Have you, do you, have you guys met him? No. Mm-hmm. He's like this amazing um, arrosticini maker. Okay. Uh, and you can find him at the Queen's Night Market or at Smorgasburg, but he also won the World's Fair uh, Food Festival last year's best-in oh. show. And so he's amazing because everyone knows Italy, but no one knows the food of Abruzzo, yeah. which he is so proud of, which he learned because ever since he was a little boy, like a baby his grandfather would teach him the love of the land he would get bring him into the garden put his hands in the soil and oh, he wow. his story of his love of food started at infancy you know he would get like tastes of wine when he was three like still <laughs> sitting in the baby chair and uh his whole craft of teaching this one that i didn't even know was in italian i didn't know lamb skewers on a stick was an italian oh i didn't know exactly he's like it's huge but no one knows it and his passion to like share the story of his grandfather above showing sharing the story of food because they're connected yeah is so beautiful and so to like sit with him and his family and to actually really understand uh the inspiration and the passion behind it was so beautiful like it it literally brought me to tears and every time he watches it he cries because his grandfather passed away Uh so um it's such a it's it's you know he honors him with this
4: one of the things you mentioned when we were talking um, about this over lunch is that every video you produce is a gift to that person can you kind of talk about your philosophy around that and also just like understanding what they want out of the shoot before you you know go even go into it
2: yeah, well I guess Food Curated, like I'm not trying to be the best or win the top awards or like, I'm not Don't in this do you have one game. awards?
4: We'll talk about I, that in a second.
2: Yeah, <laughs> definitely, but um, I guess my goal is, I'm, I blame my mom for making me a people pleaser, but um, my goal is to please one person with every video I do. It's to make that person happy. It's thank you for letting me spend the time with you like however many hours or days it was to like give me the skeleton key into your life mm-hmm. um the you know it's like they just open their doors wide let me in with my cameras and just let me ask them whatever i want spend the day with them and it's just you know it's it's a gift to be there so the best i can do is give a gift back that reflects and mirrors this beautiful time we spent together you know and so, if I can, so like I get really nervous after I'm done editing a piece, <laughs> and I'll just spend hours, hours, and hours on t- like just getting it perfect because it's not, it's not always easy um, crafting the story and how it's gonna pan out, um, but. Yeah, like, I get nervous before I send the email out to the person. So I'm like, oh my god, I hope they like it. <laughs> well, one of the... Yeah. Sorry. You don't always know if
4: they will. One of the other things you said is that the art is in the edit. So can you talk about, like, the editing process? There's so much. You guys spend hours and hours and days. Yeah. And obviously, you know, your uh, videos are longer than, you know, like three minutes or something, but you can't
2: continue for forever. Yeah, have you guys done any editing of no. that sort? Of, no, so
1: you no. don't know what we, it's we, like. You know, we're, we're live right now, yeah. so uh, luckily...
2: <laughs> Our wonderful Luckily or here. unluckily, right. Amanda hasn't this edited anything yet. Yeah. I guess so, when I sit down to an edit of a story, I'll probably have three to six hours of content to go through, to arrive at the... 7 to 12 minutes that I think are perfect mm-hmm. and I don't really have a set time but for some reason I always fall between 7 and 12 minutes mm-hmm. um, and yeah there's, there's a lot of days where I just won't sleep because I have to get it right I'll, I'll start a timeline and I'll trash it 40 times because I just they're not falling because I know in my heart ugh, they're not falling in love with this person in the first 20 seconds mm-hmm, I gotta mm-hmm. find a new way in you know, and then it just has to flow right. It has to feel like, uh, it, it just has to feel complete, like a beating heart of a person. And it takes a while to know how to layer the right parts of the interview to arrive at that. Because it's not always like three minutes on their family, three minutes on the cooking, and then yep. three minutes of a finale. It's always just kind of random. Mm-hmm. Um, like Joseph Yoon, who I just profiled, he does Brooklyn Bugs. I know you guys. Yeah. We We had had him him on on. (laughs) podcast. Yeah. He's a wild, wild, (laughs) wild man (laughs) who cooks with edible insects. And he, you know, his story just aired on television and part of my show, but also online. And he was like, why did you start with this weird thing about me talking about my family thinks I'm weird and me playing the saxophone? Like, why don't you just get right into the bugs? He's Mm. like, it takes you a minute to get into the bugs yeah. <laughs> and I was like because no one would care about the bugs if they didn't know you were this weird weird person that your parents <laughs> yeah. aren't, aren't even like rallying for to win you know like that you're a strange dude and that's I think that's what spoke to me the most and I kept tying that theme back in mm-hmm. of his weirdness because that's I mean you've met him that's what jumps <laughs> out at you yes. <laughs> so I colored his whole uh, you know piece about with all these little things that make him a little bit weird, but that's what makes you love him. Yeah. So
1: you also spend time with people who have not gotten a lot of media attention, who mm-hmm. have not spent a lot of time in front of a camera. So it must be a process to to you know get them comfortable with that. It's it can be a little invasive, especially in your normal routine to have someone show up with a, a, a camera and watch you that intensely. How do you how do you get people to relax and, and lean into that process?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's hard sometimes I think what the the first layer that makes it easy is it's just me so like it's a three camera shoot but I'm the only one there (laughs) you know so that but so immediately because there aren't five people and so many people they have to impress it's just a it's literally a one-on-one that's you know that that helps the comfort level of like anyone totally green to being on camera but also like I'm not I'll I'll just let a lot of footage die you know if I can tell that a person isn't getting to their answers the way I want them to it's also about changing your approach and the question Mm -hmm. so a lot of times I'll ask the same question throughout my you know two or three hour interview different ways until I'm like oh they said the right time that way you know and it's a lot about just immediately when you walk in the door Letting them know, like, you're just there to hang out. You know, I'm not all business. So I think wh- I think they immediately understand that. And immediately they're like, oh, she just wants to be my friend. And she's just hanging out. So it, I think that translates in the interview. Because, like, I, I want them to be comfortable. So I don't want them to think, oh, I'm, the, I'm just there to get this done. We have this time. There's mm-hmm. a time limit. Like, And then eventually they relax and we just end up hanging out. And then that's when they all they just they start getting excited to show me things and make me taste things and bring things like out hidden in their shelves, (laughs) you know. And and I'll also ask the hard questions and I'll also ask the weird probing questions Mm -hmm. um, because I'm curious and I want to know. And a lot of times they're surprised by the fact that I won't just focus on food. I'll ask them about their other hobbies and other things. But it's it's fun to know the full person because then you get a full picture.
1: How do, you, how do you find people? How do you... <laughs>
2: yeah, that was my question. And how did you know? <laughs> we've
4: been doing
1: this for a
2: while. <laughs> We're just
1: on the same page. Uh, yeah, how do you find people and then how do you make choices about who ultimately to profile?
2: I think a lot of it, first, is my curiosity. I'm very curious about a lot of random things. So, not driven by trends so much as, a, as much as I'm driven by my curiosity to learn. Um, so, uh, you know, when I profiled mongolista pigs years ago before that was on everyone's menu it's just so, so
4: cute
2: i don't know if a farmer told me about it or i randomly ate it on a menu uh-huh. and i didn't i'd never seen that name before and then i looked a picture of them up and they're these hairy pigs and there's <laughs> so only funny. one farm like a... in like with drivable distance i'm like i want to go to that farm meet these pigs mm-hmm. you know like that sounds fun um i think uh a lot of it is that i want to have adventures uh, because i have itchy feet so i can't I don't have a lot of money to just travel wherever I want in the world, so I find excuses to travel within driving distance of New York. And a lot of times I'm just constantly talking to people, uh, trying foods. I'm really out there in the food scene, um, tasting things. And how I discover food is just, it'll literally jump out at me. Like it'll be something I try. Like when I profiled, uh, Max blackman Gentile, mm-hmm. who's now kind of starting to be this little bread rock star. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no one knew of him. He was just kind of like baking on the side at Torst. Um, and I was just having dinner there because I love Torst. And I they we got the bread and I was just like, what is this bread? so good. <laughs> I never had this bread before. Uh, it was just so amazing. And it was so tender and moist on the inside, but just such crazy, like, sourdough flavor, and I was, and I was like, I have to meet who made this bread, you know, and so from there, he was like, yeah, this is, like, my nerdy thing they randomly let me do at tours, (laughs) Um, and since then, like, I feel like right now, he's getting really famous for it, so he just moved to the uh, standard cafe in Soho, and they gave him bread ovens and now he's you know you could buy bread daily from him before like i was he was like micro micro yeah it was a nano bread bread program where i was telling people the only way to get it is you have to slide into his dms (laughs) and you know on his instagram he'd show you the breads available that week so it's like that discovery was so like natural to me and food curated so i don't like when pr people approach me yeah
4: do you? I mean, do you ever respond to them? Is that a? Is that like acceptable? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, they're just doing their job. Like I don't yep. blame them. Um, it's just never where I find my stories. Well, so. on the
4: note, I mean, everyone, everyone does have a story. Some of them are might be. Better than others or more interesting? Like, how do you? Uh, what? More compelling. <laughs> more compelling, yes. How do you decide on, you know, whose story to tell and also keep variety so you're not profile maybe being the same type of person, the same type of business, same type of foods over and over again?
2: Yeah, well, I get bored too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if I'm doing this to educate myself, like, why would I do the same? You know, why would I do. Uh, salt maker over and over again unless I still haven't learned that one thing that no one has been able to land for me you know so um yeah no I I think I just it's literally very organic you know sometimes it's just like I want to go into the farmland so I just start thinking about you know like the types of stories I could tell out there. It's really a lot of brainstorming for fun. Is
4: there something that when you interact with a couple of people that might be all from the same, the industry that you might be interested in exploring, but someone just speaks to you? Like, what does that feel like? You're like, this is the person I want to tell the story of. Like, what does that feel like? How do you know when you have it? Like, this is the right person to tell the story of.
2: I, well, I think, I think we all as human beings have intuition about people. Yeah. Right, like I could tell right away, I would like you. <laughs> You're nice, and we've already met many yeah. years. Yeah, ago. apparently we ago. didn't know this. <laughs> Satin, I
1: sat in McCarran Park and watched Point Break and. 2010. Is Point Break a movie? Yeah, it's okay. an old. Uh, what's <laughs> what? <his
4: name>? Uh, <laughs> I didn't right. know what you guys Maybe. were saying earlier. I was like, oh. What's
1: his name? Uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, yeah, Keanu oh, Reeves Keanu and Reeves. You know Patrick Swayze, right?
2: Yes. What?
4: Yeah,
1: it's no, an I old. Don't know this movie. It's an old oh, wow. surfing slash crime movie, like what? cop drama with surfing.
2: I don't think I've ever met anyone that hadn't seen Point really? Break. What year did it come
1: out? Uh, the 80s sometime. Yeah. They've all got like long hair and they're running around on the beach and waving guns around. It's a whole thing. It's... Anyway. Yeah. We <laughs> met. T- talk, right. We met. So tell us. Sorry. Tell us about your intuition. And, yeah. No, uh, I think and, uh...
2: inherently like we as human beings all have intuition about people. I trust mine. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't trust their intuition or think it matters. Mm-hmm. But uh, in person with people, um, I'm very attuned to that sensitive to it, so I can immediately tell if I'm going to like someone or not, or if they're genuine or not, mm-hmm. and I, I allow that to play a part in my decision-making. Um, some Most of the time when I pick stories, it's like the food is just, it's there's this part of my brain that gets waken up that's like been dead, mm-hmm. and it just wakes up, and it just is like, it sparkles, and it's magic, and it's just <laughs> like, uh, cause, because it's something I've never had before that's like... It's like, oh, you got to know this, mm-hmm. and I will seek it out um, until I'm there with my cameras. <laughs> so. What do
1: What do you do if you don't like the person? If the food is exceptional, but the person is
2: the story uh, uh, is... That?
1: unpleasant? Yeah, I don't know if you, yeah.
2: Um. Well, you know. So I'm always just trying to put happiness into the world. You know, I I want to leave a legacy of beauty. Um, I. I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but honestly, like, I'm not here to promote bad people. Yeah, of course. Evil people. I'm not here to, like, put evil into the world, you know? And if I know and if I've heard the reputation of someone, um, for me it's not worth it because there's too many other good people Mm -hmm. that I can focus on that actually, like, need uh, me to help them uh, just become discovered. So, yeah, I don't think... I'm allowed to be picky as the chief story. Sure. Shirt. Yeah. Of food curated. Uh, <laughs> and the people that you have
4: profiled have gone on. It's, it's really helped their businesses. You know, it's really definitely uh, driven traffic to what they're doing. Uh, the bread maker now, you know, like all this success has befallen them. And you've also won awards for your videos. Like how has that over the years, is that a lot of pressure? Like, you know, has that how do you kind of deal with this, like, awesomeness, the upside of all of that, but also the those expectations that come with it?
2: That's so funny. Um, I think, like, it, personally, I've gone through a lot of uh, changes in how I view success. And I think that's because, like, I've been through uh, therapy for different personal reasons in my mm-hmm. life that made it very apparent that, um, you know... I I'm just trying to impress my mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's an Asian I feel like that's thing. what I get in therapy as well. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the reasons why I would push myself early on was because I wanted them to see me. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, hey, look at all this. Like, you know, I put on this song and dance. And I'm like, oh, I just want you to love me. Yeah. Like, look at all this shit I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you see? And, you know, now that I've made friends with the fact that, yeah, that's, like, important, but it's not... I don't need to be fulfilled in that anyway. Mm-hmm. That anyway anymore. And yes, like, thankfully because I pushed myself so hard in the beginning, yes, I was able to get all these amazing awards mm-hmm. and including the James Beard. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to plug that in there in case people didn't know. Yeah, no, but um, you know, I sought those out just to, you know, like to impress them because mm-hmm. that was, you know, for a, for a long time I don't feel like they saw what I did. Um, But now that I'm cool with it, it's just more chill. Yeah, (laughs) You know, like I don't, I think awards are great. And I think if people want awards, it's awesome because it's a great way to get discovered. But I don't chase that anymore. For me, it's still like, I think of it as an art. So I think of it as an art form. And so it's similar to if I were to be a painter. You know, like just the video is my medium. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in two minutes. Stay tuned.
0: Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Pool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish.
3: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dave Arnold, and I'm the host of Cooking Issues here on Heritage Radio Network. Every week, I answer listeners' questions on the latest innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients in the food world. Have a question about hot rodding your oven to make great pizza? Give us a call. Hydrocolloid, sous vide, liquid nitrogen? No problem. You can find Cooking Issues wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. fall asleep just to wake up. <laughs>
4: And welcome back. This is Why Food Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. I'm still Ethan. (laughs) Still Ethan. Still here. And uh, today we are joined by Liza Deguia. Um, She is the chief storyteller at Food Curated. We were just talking about all the incredible people that she's profiled in the food industry. Um, But we also want to turn the tables a little bit and talk about you and how you came to be the chief storyteller and how you became the person behind the lens. So uh, where'd we start? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's funny, you know, when I, people ask me why did I get into telling stories, it's because I'm so bad at telling my own story. So I was like, it was just seemed easier to tell other people's stories than my own. Um, and I think I was attracted to storytelling because I was so bad at telling my story. You know, I didn't think my story was that great. Mm-hmm. So let's prop everyone else up. You know, and I found joy in that, but I also found a w- a better way to like um, it mirrored something I needed to see in myself. I think the that yin and yang you know you go after the things that you need in your life and you've right? slowly with found partners, yourself with, yeah Through... I'm always finding myself I think that's the journey right yeah. and why we're all here
1: and, and isn't there something in telling somebody else's story it's it, you're the one behind the camera you're you're the you're literally watching the story and then editing. So there's something of you in mm-hmm. every one of the stories that you tell.
2: Yeah. I- it's funny. Cause people always say I can always tell when it's a few curated story. Yeah. You know, people say that to me a lot and it's cause yeah, I guess somehow my personality is weaved in there. Yes. Sometimes you can hear me laugh in the background or <laughs> yeah. be a little snarky or I'll, I'll include that if it makes sense. Um, it's not a gimmick. I always do. Um, But but yeah, it's (laughs) so what do you (laughs) think it is? What what
1: defines a food curated story?
2: It just it it aims at the heart of a person. So it's I don't know. It's just you feel them. You feel a person come to life on screen and it includes all their weird quirks and all their weird mannerisms. And I almost celebrate that, you know, a lot of that. With other production companies, might make the cutting room floor because they're just like, "Oh, those ticks yeah. are—it's just Weird. a waste of time. We need to just, you know." Ethan has experienced that. Oh, you have with what? With that Epicurious video?
1: Oh, things—things things being left behind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah well. My, my weird spice tasting Epicurious video well luckily they edited out the part where I wiped turmeric all over my shirt so
2: that was a good edit I think that's the kind of stuff that you want to see yeah right see that's the stuff I would probably keep in yeah. you know the stuff that like makes you doesn't? laugh or makes you remember them because of that weird thing they did I love I yeah. love that you know if it's uh, a weird laugh they have that's just so strange. Oh, I'll leave God. that in I, really I, like I that. or just something weird they do with their hands or how they cook. Like I want all that because it's just like that's you. Yeah, you so know I'm you, here filming you. I'm not, like yes, I will make you look perfect, but I'll also make you look so much like you. You're you you can't complain.
1: <laughs> do you feel like there is a, a personality type the? The, you tend to profile people who are a little, a little weird, a little intense, <laughs> who are really passionate about what they're doing, who have, like we talked about, not gotten a lot of exposure for various reasons. Do you feel like there's a, a profile, a personality that that you find across across those interviews? What drives people to to pursue something that that maybe most of the world doesn't care that much about, but they care about really deeply?
2: Yeah, uh, personality. No, because I think. What's cool is everybody's personality is different. What's consistent is the passion level. Mm. So the passion level um, is always the same. There's always there's always something super nerdy that they're after, a question that they're or problem they're trying to solve, and in their in their journey to solve this problem of making this one thing taste perfect this entire like novel comes out yeah you know because because it ties into their family history it ties into uh all the highs and lows of their life it ties into you know big big wins and losses and adventures they've had and you know I feel like it all it all comes together I don't I don't know if there is a I think that's why I love telling stories is because all the personalities are so different um Maybe they're just weird around me because I'm weird <laughs> and that's okay. I think totally maybe everyone has real. a free flag and time. I, you know, and I just bring it out in them. <laughs> well, but some people are very serious and I will respect that. Like sometimes I'll try to in an interview, I'll try to, you know, mm-hmm. push a little bit more of them to, to come out. Like there was a, I won't say who the chef was, it was a really nice restaurant, but he was so trained by his PR company to say things by the book like they went through a hundred questions with him like on paper and made him answer them out loud and they worked with him on his dialogue and I whenever I can feel that in an interview I just like try to get through it like I'll still ask the questions and try to get through it as quickly as possible because I know he's just going to want to land all those lines yeah and then I just start asking like I start digging again until he says it and so he stops talking about those points he has to make and gets into like a, li- a literal conversation with me. And you can see the light in their eyes go off mm-hmm. when you enter the conversation jo- zone. It's like, you can see it. I-, I can visually see it happen where they forget the cameras are there. They even forget that I'm there and they just kind of like, because the flow is so good, it just happened.
1: There is a, t- a tension though, right? I mean. Uh, journalists who are less uh, ethically responsible or who, have, a, who have who have don't care have a particular vision of the story that they want to tell usually kind of a tearjerker or a sob story right they're trying to pull a story out of somebody rather than uh, understand more holistically what that person's story truly is and and uh, i think anyone who has been interviewed has had this experience where you feel like the version of your interview that appeared in print or or in the final form wasn't always true to, to the story that you were trying to tell. And, um, I guess, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you, how do you make sure that you're portraying the person in a good light, that you're telling the story that they want to tell, but that you're also interpreting their story in a way that is going to be compelling to a wider audience, to somebody who hasn't met them, doesn't, doesn't know them themselves. I don't
2: give them any expectations. I think they if they've done their research they they have seen food curated stories so they kind of get an idea mm-hmm. but I don't tell them you know I want to make people cry or I want to dig into this like I kind of cover it all and then they just know I have you know the creative control I think I think you just have to develop that trust with them you know and I think I'm lucky I have a a pretty good reputation in the mm-hmm. industry for you know, people being really happy with their stories. So, thankfully, you know, like now I can get interviews pretty easily because because of that reputation. But yeah, I, I mean, oh, you, you yeah, know. it's hard.
4: Well, I want to again shift this conversation back to you <laughs> since we managed to move off that um, of talking about quirks and passion. well, you were not in TV before, and you decided. That is what you had to do. You were going to break into TV, and you told us a crazy story over lunch (laughs) about how you drove out to Long Island to try and go work at a small local TV shop, like walked into their office. Can you just tell our listeners about that and just
2: what happened afterwards? (laughs) Yeah, no, so uh, before Food Curated, um, I was... Uh, in marketing at ABC Television in New York City. I was running um, marketing campaigns for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire back Yay, in the day. Yeah, I didn't want that show. <laughs> yeah, and like all these crazy programs. But I wasn't in love with entertainment marketing, and even though that's what I thought I wanted to do. So I traveled the world, came back, wanted to be a TV journalist, uh, but was so stubborn um, that I didn't want to go to journalism school, even though everyone told me. You have to go to journalism school. Mm-hmm. So I, because I didn't, I wasn't getting uh, landing the jobs in TV, even in Montana where I applied. So <laughs> uh, I was uh, kind of going through like a, de- I was like a little bit depressed because it's hard getting rejection letters. Yeah, of course. And I was on a train to Long, uh, like in Long Island, and I opened up the Long Island Press, and there was this huge like center page article about. Um, a new lifestyle channel opening up in the Hamptons called Plum TV. And uh, I just knew, like, intuitively, I just knew, oh, that's going to be my first TV job, a lifestyle channel in the Hamptons. (laughs) Like, I just knew it. Like, it was divine intervention. Mm -hmm. And literally, like, I packed all my stuff in New York and, like, within two or three weeks moved out to the Hamptons. (laughs) And... I was I was just determined. I'm like I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna find them. I'm gonna work there. When I got there, no one knew, a where their address was. B what I was talking about. <laughs> and I was just there, so I had to get a job. So I ended up finding the public access channel of the Hamptons, which I didn't even know existed. <laughs> uh, walked into their door and basically convinced them to hire me as their very first intern. And they didn't even have interns. Um, just was kind of like. Learning, teaching myself like editing and shooting with cameras, and then literally three weeks later, all these vans and semis pull up and Plum TV, which was a, the company in the article, literally moved across the street, <laughs> and I had my first television job, like two or three weeks later. It's like divine. As that the, is divine intervention. The, divine intervention. <laughs> as the like, they let me pick what I wanted to cover, so I became the food re- the food reporter the surf report reporter and the nightlife reporter for this amazing lifestyle channel that doesn't exist anymore. But that was my first job in food. So I started, I always wanted to tell, I was out there and I was like, wow, the land is so beautiful. There's all these farms, um, all these beautiful farm stands. So I started this series called, called what's fresh where I would farm and harvest at five in the morning, bring all the goods back to a cool, uh, Hampton's restaurant and cook it with them and that became the series and it became super popular out there so that I did that for three years and no one was doing that type of farm-to-table videos at the time and I was just because I was a predator (laughs) I was like shooting and editing everything myself so felt very comfortable Mm -hmm. doing that and after three years um, of a lot of success and like, a great time um, in the Hamptons, you kind of start doing every story. Because it's a small town. Sure. You, you start doing every story for the third time and, you know. You're feeling a yeah, little less You feel tired. like you're dying slowly. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved back to New York. And back in 2006, like, was looking for a job and just kept on realizing, oh, no, everyone's doing, like, TV show stories, but no one's doing, like, food documentaries on Mm -hmm. the web and that was kind of my specialty and I literally contacted every food blog around and was like here's my reel this is what I want to do and everyone was only doing recipes at the time like Mm -hmm. they're like oh why can't you just do a one minute like food review and like tour Mm -hmm. a restaurant why can't you just do a minute and a half food recipe I was like because that's not (laughs) that's not me well yeah and there's something to say and they're like no one wants long videos like that was the consistent answer I got so that's why um, even though I pitched it to so many other people I ended up launching it myself so in 2000 and like I ideated it in 2008 and launched in 2009 Within the first six months, I got my first James Beard nomination. That's crazy. So if that wasn't like encouragement, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what else is? So and,
1: and now we have things like Chef's Table and, and yeah. more long form deep dive very much in your style or your format. Of yeah,
2: totally. Those, those yeah, backstones. and I think it just showed there was a market for that. But people wanted to learn. People are hungry to learn mm-hmm. like a little something more than the stand-and-stir programming. Yeah.
4: Since you are still doing all of this, it's a lot of work yourself. Yeah. Have you thought about expanding your team, or is it like you want creative control over everything, so you want to keep it small for like your own creative purposes?
2: You know, I think because I love people so much, I do love working with people. I think the thing about keeping food curated as my own is that no one could tell me what to do. I <laughs> uh, <like> yes, <laughs> when no one could tell me what to do with my videos, but I have gone on to do other things with other people. Mm-hmm. So, when I was the host of um, going off the menu for Bravo. Oh yes, I also knew your other host, uh, Russell. <laughs> <So>, yes, <yeah. laughs> uh, I worked with a 25-person team for the first time. What was? And did you like it? Like, was it a weird experience? I loved it. Okay. I loved it because. I knew how to play the, all the roles. So I could kind of like, I felt like I was in the matrix. Like I could, <laughs> like, I, I could think of what everyone wanted before they asked for it. And so in that way, it was just a really helpful, easy shoot for them. And then I could just sit back and be the host, which is something I really loved, but don't get to do much with Food Curated. I did it out in the Hamptons, um, but it's not a skill. I get to exercise much because it's always hard to like hold, hold the camera at the, at the level I do my videos and make Mm -hmm. it make sense. But yeah, I mean, I would love to work with bigger teams. It's just, it's just much more, like, with with how much I want to do, it's just faster now for me to do my stories the way I want because I don't like waiting on people. But my dream, like, the dream that I'm going after right now is I'm trying to pitch uh, national food curated show Mm -hmm. because I've never gone on the road with my stories. I've always kind of stayed because I have a TV show because it's tied to NYC life. Oh yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So food curated tonight's, uh, the season finale of food curated, my eight episode season here in New York city. And, um, because I'm part, this is my fifth season with the, with the local channel. And because I have to keep it local, I stay within the tri-state area, but my dream and because I've itchy feet is, Taking food curated on the road because there's so much more to see about food. Mm-hmm. There's so much more I'm curious about, and I'd love to hit the road with it.
1: Do you have a, a big question that you'd like to to answer? Something that's been bugging you for a long Existential question.
2: <laughs> a big existential. I can't think for of anyone a right small now. What would yours question? be? Oh, yeah. What's your existential? My existential about food. Besides, why food? Yes, yeah. Y food. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But I mean, I think Ethan we the
4: topic.
1: We we get into it. yeah. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, we I mean, this is something that comes up a lot, right? Like the the entrepreneurs or the innovators, the people we have on this show have have been driven in pursuit of figuring something out, understanding something, doing something that nobody else has done before. And now that you're looking at a, a bigger scope geographically, are there yeah, are there questions that, that have that you've been wanting to answer that you haven't had a chance?
2: I always have questions. I just my curiosity is endless. You know, I just feel like just let me loose. You know, I'm ready to just let oh. me see the world. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm just ready to discover everything. Like, what else is out there? That's my big question. Where would you go first? Because there is,
4: if you could go, I guess nationally or internationally.
2: Where would I go first?
4: Does not have to be, like, a person, like, a general area that you would want to land and, like, discover a little bit, see who you want to interview?
2: Funnily enough, like, I don't know middle America very much, and everyone keeps telling me it's a crazy place. Like, my (laughs) boyfriend has toured the country. He's a singer of a band Thursday, and he's toured the country and done a cross-country road trip 30 times. Oh, my God. I've never gone cross-country once. I've done four times. Oh, wow, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, it was weird. It was it was wild out there. Yeah, and he always tells me the middle of the country is strange, but I like strange. And I bet there's tons of cool stuff going on, especially since, you know, all the epicenters of food is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I get a lot of invites from people in Wisconsin and Iowa. They're like, oh my God, the food here is so good. I want to see that. You know, it's, and it's not that I'm becoming sick of New York because you can never no get sick of New York. Is because what it's I've the learned. Best city. It kind of is the best city. Um, but there's just so much I don't know. And that's what I want to know. Cause I, I need to fill this cup of knowledge in my brain.
1: I was just in Iowa f- doing food stuff uh, a couple of weeks ago, having a, a And what was week. it like? Well, it was, it was fascinating. I was there for two <laughs> days, but we've been, I, we've been spending a, a fair amount of time in the middle of the country. It was in Minneapolis and, and Iowa and Chicago and where else was I recently? Did you see? Anyway.
2: Farmland and lots
1: of farmland. We were actually visiting a big spice factory, a big spice processing facility in, in Iowa, which was a uh, yeah, fascinating. What, what's the spice that they well, it's not nothing that's grown there, but stuff that there's oh, a, a big oh, spice company it- based there. One of the, um, so it's just yeah, really interesting to see that land being inexpensive. Sometimes it's easier to build bigger factories in other parts of the country, and that's sure. that's how they wound up there.
2: Like, my um, the one story I'd love to do is I, I interviewed um. Ann Yonatane, she does Nurture uh, uh, New York natto. Mm-hmm. She's a, she makes really the only artisanal natto don't. in the country.
1: You don't like natto? I don't Jenny's like natto. I liked head. the
2: video, and I really liked all the visuals, but I don't
3: like natto. Not- not- I'll, I'll don't try don't have to like yeah, natto. Yeah. You
2: don't have to like natto, but for the Americans who don't know natto, there's probably tons that would love it. They just mm-hmm. don't even know what it is it's and a very, how helpful it is for, for
1: listeners who might not yeah, know, it's a very us? sticky, fermented soybean taste, almost, would you say? How it's would you a soybean describe
2: it? that it's like they cool. fermented. yeah. yeah. And they it, eat it for breakfast. They eat it for breakfast, but, you know, um, Anna of Nurturnato is trying to say, you don't just have to eat it for breakfast. You can put it on pizza. You can put it in your burger. You can put it in yeah, your Jenny, egg sandwich. I'm
1: surprised. <laughs> it seems like something to be up your alley. <laughs> no, I, it's like, really one of mommy. the few things I really
4: couldn't get down. Maybe I had a bad one. You know, I don't know. I have, have you I had, had hers? Th- no, I have not. No, I, I I not.
2: I'm going to have her be a guest of yours. Oh, okay, yeah, be yeah, because she's, she's up against... You know, she has to climb quite a mountain for people to start accepting natto yeah, as a thing yeah, yeah. in the states. So it's like she's quite a journey ahead of her. But she was telling me that all the best uh, Japanese natto makers get their natto in North Dakota, like the soybeans. Yeah, the really. Soy beans. To because for some reason, the strain of soybean that makes natto grows there perfectly. And really? everyone sources from there around the world. And I was like, that's amazing. That's I would not strength. have thought. You'd think it'd be in Japan, Yeah, right? So what did they do historically? Where where did they get these soybeans? I'm sure it originally in Japan, but for some reason now, predominantly, people get it from North Dakota. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm like, I want to go there. That sounds sounds, yeah. fascinating. Like, I go
4: look at these soybean growers. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, I, it's things like that. Like, uh, I mean, this was... I also learned from just, you know, doing stories and partnerships I've done that um, that we only eat, we eat less than 1% of the entire uh, population of clams. Really? Available to man. Oh, yeah, because like, some, they're not edible? Because well, they're just, I feel like if there were going to be a... Post-apocalyptic situation with uh, <laughs> either politics or zombies. Yeah. Um, and the food source were to go like to zero, clams are the answer. Not bugs. Like, of er- not bugs. Because I feel <laughs> like if you, Joseph. if if everyone that's allowed to harvest clams only harvests less than one percent of what's available in the in the oceans. Think about There's what we're a... not eating in the ocean. That's crazy. But but then. I mean, how many of us can eat that much clam?
1: And I think across the food system, there are, there are a lot of edible plants and animals, insects, seafood that that for whatever reason have been not for whatever reason for generally pretty specific reasons have been pushed out of the of the mm-hmm. commodity food system because yeah. of scale, because of cost, because of um, they look weird. Yeah, exactly. They look weird. exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've heard That's that so before. much of it. Um, I think
2: something that I've been getting into, so something that I've been covering more of on Food Curated, that I'd love to cover more of. Um, speaking kind of in that light, is um, all the psychoactive, psychedelic plants outside of the cannabis CBD world. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: So I've been profiling a lot of uh, shamans and healers and plant um, specialists and herbalists. Mm. And they're just like, there's a whole world of plants that people are not using that are, you know, like give you alternatives to pharmaceuticals. And they've been, they're they're ancient practices. And I'm, you know, you're starting to see a lot more of it in New York, especially. Like, go to any any store or tea shop, you're starting to see CBD everywhere. Yeah. But they're like, that's just one plant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's so cool. Like, I just went to Sawmill Herb Farm. They're the biggest plant medicine farm in the Northeast. And it was just so cool to go to see what she plants, how she uses it as medicine. And, you know, it's like a, it's a you can sign up to get these delivered to your door to make your own medicine. And I think that's a trend I'm interested in exploring too. I was you know, just, like-
1: I was just at a spice conference this whole week in Florida. And one of the big concerns is a, a stupid new piece of legislation that's being proposed by Tom Cotton center from Arkansas. And, uh, restricting the purchase of poppy seeds and particularly what are called unwashed poppy seeds, which potentially still have some trace uh, plant residue. And there's some kid who, who died from drinking a poppy seed tea uh, trying to get high. Uh, anyway, this is a whole wow. a bigger conversation. But um, yeah, I mean, poppy seeds are a a major topic, and the whole spice industry is freaking out because it means it's going to make it harder to sell them to bakeries and right. and people you know people insane. making lemon poppy seed muffins. Um, it seems like massive legislation is not the solution to that problem
2: yeah uh, Better education. i think like mm-hmm. also little yeah. kids doing like the cinnamon game right you can never they're ruining the industry yeah they're ruining the industry they're making it hard for people just to take it seriously <laughs> well it's been so wonderful
4: having you on the show can you uh tell our listeners really quickly where to find you online um and follow you
2: you and watch more of your stories Sure. Th- well, thank you both so much for having me. It's good to see you too. Likewise. Um, you can find me online at foodcurated.com and because my middle name is mosquito, um, you can find me also at Skeeter NYC or on food curated on Instagram.
1: You can, as always reach us on Instagram at why food podcast. You can contact us at why food at heritage radio org. Um, we always love nominations, questions, comments, positive feedback you can leave the negative feedback at home no I'm kidding (laughs) Um, you can find me via my spice company burlap and barrel we're at burlap and barrel on instagram
4: you can find me at at chef jenny dorsey Um, and thank you to amanda our wonderful sound engineer and as always our theme song is blind by the red crickets
1: see you next week i lost my track of
0: time
3: at the